we're going to dive in, and this is the, if you're a visitor, uh, we have been in this extended series, and it's called The Good Book, and I just want you to know, <clears throat> it is a fantastic devotional book. It's broken into 40 chapters, 40 readings, 40 chapters out of the Bible. Uh, I think it's a great book to give a friend, especially over the summer. Uh, it's just a few minutes every morning, but I tell you, it's been phenomenal, and I love the themes. And today, we're going to wrap it up, so I want you to know what's coming is uh, the theme we're going to kind of hit is how to allow God to affect our character. So when you think about character traits, normally everybody thinks about the fruit of the Spirit, but we're going to spend a little bit of time, read some scriptures in Galatians, but what we're really going to do is we're going to launch into who all of us should be emulating, and who should all of us be emulating? Jesus Christ. When you read the good book, isn't it obvious that all arrows point where? To the cross of Jesus. So everything we do in life is we are tenaciously pursuing Jesus Christ. So let me read Paul's words out of Galatians, and then uh, you can flip over to John chapter 10, okay? In Galatians 1.1, here's what Paul says, an apostle sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Galatians 3.26 and 27, so in Christ Jesus, you are children of God through faith for all who are baptized into Christ have been clothed in Christ. And then you get to the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now that's quite a checklist. How many of you have all those intact right now? You're like, I'm good with every one of those. Anyone? Good. Because if you raise your hand, honestly... Uh, you're a sinner. Okay, that's none of us have our act together. None of us have all of these qualities. So you can almost get discouraged. So I realized as I looked at this closer, I thought, I think the key is just what the good book is telling us to do is try to do everything you can to live like Christ because these are the characteristics of a Christ follower. This is, these are the characteristics, characteristics of Jesus. Matter of fact, I heard a, a podcast, a leadership podcast by Greg Rochelle, and he does, at the beginning of the podcast, he'll read a couple of questions that people sent in. There was a phenomenal question, and then I thought he even gave a better answer. But here was the question. It was a mother of preschoolers, and they asked, she said, I have two preschoolers, I'm active in their lives, I'm active at church, I'm active in the community, how can I find balance? Now think about that question. His answer was, balance is a farce. How many agree with that? Balance is a farce. You ever said that, I want to live a balanced life? How's that working? Anyone? I want you to think about how difficult it is to take your schedule and just say, this week I want to balance perfectly my family, church, and all these things. And then the next day, what happens? Something totally out of the blue happens. So there's no such thing as balance. So I said, I would take the word balance out and insert the word seasons. What season are you in right now? So for example, you have two preschoolers. It's okay to say no to some things and feel like I'm out of balance over here because you're investing in those preschoolers. And I thought, boy, that is so true in life. There is no balance 
It's just allowing God in the seasons of our life to be in control of our life. Now, let's take the fruit of the Spirit, and let's take that same principle, and let's take those two preschoolers, and let's fast forward 10 years, because now they're not preschoolers, they are what? Teenagers. Now, what does she need now? She doesn't need balance. She needs prayer, okay? She has teenagers, okay? Now, all of you who are parents of teenagers or grandparents or great-grandparents of teenagers, would you agree that when you read the fruit of the Spirit, one of these areas is a mandatory for a particular day? For example, how many of you remember having days with your teenager and your prayer was, Lord, give me peace? Just give me peace. Make sure that I don't say something that I shouldn't say. You know, my, my kids got so tired of me of saying, you see the refrigerator? Do you see that number? Child services. I will call them. I will call them for you. And they're like, Dad, that is so old. Just, just don't even say that again. That's not, a, that's not a spirit of peace. Some days we need a spirit of, here's a big one, self-control. Like, Lord, seriously. I know I have four children. There are times I just want three. You know, you ever had that? But you say, Lord, give me self-control. You see, we strive daily and something in our spirit will say, you know, today you need to practice love more. Today you may need to practice joy more. And when we practice those things, you know what we're doing? We're beginning to grow in Jesus Christ because we're beginning to handle life's issues like Jesus Christ all of us are in a difficult place to do that. Sir Edmund Hillary, I love this story, along with Tenzing uh, Norgay, uh, they were the first uh, humans to climb the summit of Mount Everest, 29,000 feet high. Now, he failed the first time to climb that amazing mountain. And he was said, it is said that he stood at the base of that mountain and he said, Mount Everest, you beat me the first time, but I will beat you the next time because you've grown all you're going to grow, but I'm still growing. So you may look today at some of these things and you'd say, man, Lord, I'm not there yet. I mean, this week, I know I should be practicing kindness, but maybe I tore into somebody at work and boy, I'm not there yet. Or maybe this week, it's this whole idea of joy that you're like, man, I... I'm just not a good person to be around this week. Lord, I, I just, I don't even think I practice joy. So God, I think we'll have like these warning lights that go on in our lives and we know we're still growing. So today let's talk about Jesus. Let's talk about this amazing life that we are trying to imitate. And when we begin to be more like Christ, then the fruit of the Spirit begins to make sense. Here's the first characteristic of Jesus that I absolutely love. We're going to talk about two characteristics, and here's the first one. Jesus is our faithful protector. Say that with me. Jesus is our faithful protector. John 10, verses 1 through 10. I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. But the man who enters the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice, and he calls out to them. And when he has brought you out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him, because they know 
his voice. Now drop down to verse 9. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. And he will come and go out, and he will find pastor. And the thief comes, and he steals, and he kills, and he destroys. But I've come to give you life. You see, when Jesus was speaking to the Jewish crowd, it's so important to understand that when they heard that phrase, shepherd, it didn't just mean what we think of as shepherd. A shepherd was also used for noblemen, uh, people in high position. And so they were leaning in saying, oh, Jesus is saying he's a very important person. But you notice what he says, I am willing to protect you. I'll do whatever it takes to protect you. Psalms 23, 4 says, and let's see if you can finish this. The Lord is my shepherd. And then he says, thy what and what? Thy rod and thy staff. Okay. You ever think about what the rod and the staff are? Ron Pritchard's with us. I don't know if you remember this from a year ago, but we talked about the shepherd and a rod was like a police club. Do you remember? Anybody remember? How many remember that? Yeah, nobody. Okay, so anyway, if you have a club, uh, it is purely that shepherd carried that club, and it was for protection. So if a thief or anybody was coming after the sheep, a predator of any kind, he was ready. He had the staff. Now, that staff was to help lambs that had strayed away to pull them in, but also that was there for protection. Everything the shepherd does, a good shepherd is to protect the flock, and that's what Jesus is there to do for us. What is he protecting you from right now? What is it you're struggling with right now? And you just sense, God, I just need your protection in my life. I heard a great story a year ago because I love dogs. And it was a story out of Florida, and it was the DeLuca family. And a woman is on the phone, and she has a seven-year-old daughter named Molly. And as she was on the phone, she heard Molly screaming near the pool. And so she immediately jumped out and ran out the door. And as she was running towards her daughter, <coughs> she saw this German shepherd, two-year-old dog named Hoss, jumping forward and back, back and forth. And she thought, that is the oddest thing. As she got closer, she realized what had happened. The little girl was screaming because there was a rattlesnake. And Hoss took it for this little girl. They got bit. And so she's screaming, sees the snake go away. And they pick this poor little limp dog up. German Shepherd picks him up, gets him in the car, goes to the vet. They don't think they're going to get his, his life saved, but they, they said, okay, this is going to be expensive, but we think we can save his life. She said, we don't have the money, but go for it. And so uh, some friends found out about it. They, they set up a GoFundMe. By the time they healed that dog, $30,000. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, boy, I'd been okay if the dog would have just come. You know, anybody? Anyway, not, no, that's not the answer. Here's, here's the answer. $50,000 came in through that GoFundMe. Why? Because when people heard that story, their hearts were moved. Why? Because you're like, I had a dog like that. I mean, a dog that would die for me, a dog that would do everything. Man, I want to help that person. They took the money. They took care of the funds for Hoss, this dog. They took the additional money, and they gave it back to the shelter where they got the dog. Now, see, we love stories of protection. A few years ago, I was uh, there at the memorial in New York City, and there were a few policemen there. And uh, I said, I know you probably get tired of this, but can I take a picture with you? And they said, Yeah. And I took a picture with them, and I said, do you get asked that a lot? They said, we used to get asked that a lot more. 
but it's still an honor for people to recognize that. Think of the people in our lives every day that protect us and how valuable those people are. Now fast forward to Jesus Christ. Everything he does, everything that he did, everything that he's moved into motion is about what? Loving us by protecting us. That's what I love so much about Jesus. And he said here in this scripture, if you notice, he says, here's how you know what a good shepherd is. He takes on the role of an owner, not a paid employee. You ever gone some place of business and uh, you realize by the person who can't stand their job that it's obvious they have no ownership in that business. You know what I'm talking about? You, you walk away and go, it's obvious they're not invested in this business. As opposed to you'll, be, you'll come across somebody and they give you that extra service and you're, they're just doing everything they can to help. And you're like, I bet they're invested in this organization. We all know that. We've all experienced it. You know, I can't tell you how many times I'll go in a certain store and I'll ask for help and you can just tell. I just want to put my arm around and go, it's obvious you hate your job. You know what I mean? You can just tell. And then there's some people that are just invested. Why? There's a difference between ownership. Jesus said, I love you so much. I'm willing to protect you, not like a hired hand. No, I love you deeper than that. I'm willing to do all that I can to help you. And then here's the characteristic I love most about Jesus. Jesus is our loving Savior. He is our loving Savior. Let's just look at verse 14. Just 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me. And just as the Father knows me, I know the Father. And lay down my life for the sheep. Now think about that. You see, they understood Jesus sharing a story or a parable about the shepherd because in that culture, they all understood what shepherds were. But never did they hear this story. You would take the best sheep. If you remember, Tobin shared this a, a few weeks ago when we had the worship in the round. Uh, they would lay in the front. They would literally lay in the front of the gate there to protect their sheep. But those sheep that were in the pen, those were the finest sheep. They were but without any defect, why were those sheep so important? They were going to be sacrificed for the Passover. I mean, so they're protecting sheep that they know are going to be sacrificed. What did Jesus just say? I'm the good shepherd, and I'm not here to take the lives of the sheep. I'm going to give my life for the sheep. Do you see the difference? Because that's his message to all of us. I love you so much, I'm willing to die for you. I love you so much that I know your name. I know your voice. How important is a voice? What do you think about that? How important is that? Uh, my dad died when I was a really young man, and I never heard his voice. I always wish I could have heard his voice. And we all know the importance of a voice, especially during the summer. Uh, I can remember being out in my neighborhood and get all our buddies together. And uh, usually we'd play wiffle ball, we'd go fishing, uh, really ambitious kids. So anyway, we would just have a blast. We all knew our parents' voice. You know what I'm talking about? And you could tell by the tone and you can tell by how they used your name whether things were going well. If my mom called out, John, good day. If it was John Robertson, not good. John Lee Robertson, dead man walking. Okay, you know what I'm saying? 
you hear your middle name, you, the voice penetrates. Or you used to love to tell your friends, you, they'd hear their name and you'd be like, dude, I'm going to go to that. You are getting a beat down. You know, we would love that. You know, it's obvious your dad is going to take you out. You know, so the whole gang would, you know, this is the best thing going. I've also had folks over the years and they'll say, you know, it's crazy that there'll be somebody they loved dearly that passed away. And they'll say, you know, I still have their voice on my phone, like the answering machine, and I just can't erase it. Why? Because the voice means so much. Jesus loves us so much. Think about that. He knows our voice. He knows our name. I mean, I want you to fast forward. Can you imagine that first day in heaven? He's going to call you by your name, and you're going to hear his voice. People ask me, like, what do you think it's going to be like when I get in heaven? And I always say, I think I'm going to have a meltdown. Don't you? When you hear your name and you hear his voice, if you don't think you're going to fall down on your knees and worship, you are nuts. You're going to fall down on your knees and worship because it's like, oh, my land, my whole life. It's you. He knows you. Matthew 28 is the Great Commission. And there's areas that every church emphasizes, and they should. But there's another area I want to point out. We know about make disciples. Go into all the world, make disciples. Baptizing them. We know how important it is. One of the things I've shared before that I love, uh, out of necessity, we started this with all of our baptisms on the west side. We have this trough. It's a tank, so one person can't really baptize. It always takes at least two people. So before anybody's ever baptized, I always ask, is there somebody special in your life that helped you in this walk with Christ? And if they give me a name, I'm like, you need to help with the baptism. Uh, Angie is here. I love, when Angie was a part of baptizing her, Maddie, raise your hand. When they did that together, man, that was just, oh man, I can't tell you what it did to my heart. When I saw... Evan, get baptized by his dad and his uncle. I want, I want you all, I want you to pray about this. I want every one of you to baptize someone. Every one of you. You're like, yeah, that's a preacher's job. No, it isn't. We're all preachers. Think of that when you're writing all these goals for the year. I want to lose 20 pounds. I want to go to Disney World. I want to give John a check for $100. Whatever it is was on your to-do list, okay? What if you wrote right on the top, I want to win somebody to Jesus Christ. And you know what? That's a great day, isn't it? That ought to be on everybody's list. So we know that. But also it says teaching them to obey. So everything we do is that the good book comes through every week. Everybody hears the greatest story of all, Jesus Christ. But then the very last thing Jesus says, and we forget to say this, is what? Lo, what? I am with you always. Jesus said, you're never on your own. And I am not only protecting you, but I am a loving Savior. I am willing to die for you. I am with you always. Dallas Willard said this, human, human beings are at their core defined by what they worship rather than primarily what they think, know, or believe that is bound up with the central Augustine claims, we are what we love. Isn't that true? I know Jesus loves me, and my mission every day is, Lord, I want you to know that I love you for what you have done. I want to close with this. Um, this is a story I read years ago, and then I read it again 
couple months ago, and I'm like, man, that is so powerful. But uh, there was a young man, and he had <laughs> some uh, difficulties when he was a kid with his eyesight, and it just kept getting worse and worse, and uh, very rare uh, uh, disease took over, and by the time he was a teenager, he had lost uh, his sight completely. And I mean, he was mad. He was mad at God. He was mad at his parents. Uh, went to the, his, his room. He'd come out to eat, and boy, that was about it. And this went on for several days. He just was so angry. And the parents were heartbroken. They didn't know what to do. And finally, the mom had gone to work, and the dad was getting ready to go to work, and his dad said, son, I can't say I know what you're going through because I don't really know what you're going through. But I know this is so hard for you. But I'm telling you, life, life has to be lived moving forward. You've got to start moving forward. So he said, we have chores. We always have had chores. I've let you off the hook for a while, but today this is your chore. I want you to take the screens out of your window, and they need to go into the garage. You know where they go in the garage. Oh, he, he goes, oh, picking on a blind kid. Great. Yeah, like I know where they go in the garage. I can't see the garage. I don't, and he went, oh man, he was so mad. And his dad said, listen, I'm going to work. When I get home, that job needs to be done. So he hears the door slam. Dad's gone off the work, and he just picks the first thing up, throws it up, and slams it against the wall, lays on his bed, screams, cries, and thinks, you know, can't believe my dad said a few, four, a few choice things about his dad. And he goes, well, I guess I'll show him. I'll just punch these screens out. So he, he's shaking, and he gets to the first screen. And what normally would take seconds, it took him so long just to get the screen out. And then he felt all around the room. He stubbed his toe, made his way down the stairs, finally got to the door, got all around, got out the door. Now he's got to navigate to get to the garage. And now it's agonizing, like this is taking forever and he finally gets in the garage, and he's feeling all around where he thought the screen would go. He just throws the first screen, starts to move back upstairs, and then he gets to the second screen, and it only took about half the time it took for the first one. And then he thought, I just did two screens. He waited the old man gets home. He's going to get to hear about that. So at dinner, he said, hey, Dad, guess what? Got the screens done. He goes, I am so proud of you. Years later... He was telling that story to a group of friends. He said, that was the defining moment of my life when I realized that if I could cut down those tasks in half, that I could do that with anything. And he said, I remember at dinner even saying, hey, Dad, I think I can do just about anything if I just slow down the process. His dad said, you can do anything you want, and I'm right there for you. You know that. He said, Dad, that's awesome. He didn't know for years. Guess what happened that morning? Dad did not go to work. Dad just slammed the door. He said, son, I was within 20 feet of you the entire time. And he said, do you think you're the only one that wanted to throw something against the wall? Do you think you're the only one that wanted to cry out to God and ask why? No. And do you know how hard it was for me not to cry so you didn't hear me? Because I watched you put those screams. Because I know how hard it was. Everything in me said, just take the screen. He said, no, I knew. You had to do this. But you have to know I'm always in your quarter. You know what? That's not only a good father. That's what Jesus is for everybody in this room. He is in your corner. And there are times, some of you may feel like this, that 
Where is he right now? Is he present? And I'm here to tell you, he is so present. 